Oh, guten Morgen, Paul. Come, come in, come in. Have a seat. You know, put your bags there. You know, put your feet up. Uh, you, you're looking well. How, how are you feeling this week, my friend? Oh, Dr. Horsey Sticker. I'm, I'm not good. Oh. Just everything's going wrong. Everything. I'm just having oh, a terrible time. So, like, my pet bug, Ted, died. Oh. Yeah, my 45 of my sweet lord, it just broke. Oh. You know, I've got this magic wand that's just completely snapped in half and not working. Oh. I, I've, I've got this tripod for my telescope and the, the three stable legs, that they're just collapsed and they're not, you know, oh. they're not working together and they're just all broken oh. apart. Uh, uh, okay, it's not a good week at all, Paul. What, what else? And my sports team, everyone is fighting with each other and no one's on the same side. It's just, oh. I can't tell what's going on in space at all. Because uh, of the telescope with the tripod. So, ah, right, yes, yeah. of course. Of yeah, course. I, I, and it's just overwhelming. I feel like uh, it's a total crisis. <laughs> well, Paul, it's, it's, it's not a crisis, but it could be heading to one. Hello and welcome to DCOCD, the DC Events Podcast, where we're looking at every single DC event in chronological order, starting with Crisis on Infinite Earths in 1985 and working our way up to, well, I'm not sure we're going to get to at this stage, but we'll get somewhere. But today we're making a stop in 2005, which is, um, this is a weird one. It's not sort of exactly an event, but it's impossible to measure it without sort of making it an event. And it, it does have all the coordination and the scale and the, and all those things that make an event. But strictly speaking, it's the lead up to another event. And so we're looking at the countdown to Infinite Crisis this week from 2005. So um, this was kicked off by a special issue called Countdown to Infinite Crisis, which uh, the title was kept secret until the very last minute. Um, and then there were four core miniseries, which all sort of, uh, you know, paved the road along the way until you got to the Infinite Crisis. And there were lots of issues leading in before it, which weren't really announced and uh, at the same time as well. But to look at it, I am joined by Peter Reed. Rios, uh, who's famous for the Daily Rios podcast and uh, talks about the Titans at the Titans Tower, um, does an excellent series on Heroes in Crisis, which is in the back of my mind when I'm thinking about that event coming up one day, <laughs> and talks about the Legion of Superheroes as well. Peter, how are you? I am well. Thank you so much for the invite and uh, uh, for allowing me to play in, in, a, in your sandbox with a subject that an overall subject that speaks near and dear to my heart. Anytime anybody talks about DC events, I I want to listen. I want to I want to yell back at the at the podcast. I, I I think what you guys are doing is great because you have a really interesting hook with how you're going about it. So I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, so many podcasts do the deep dive, um, and I you know I don't have time for the deep dive. I just want to do the the quick uh, dip. <laughs> But come away right. with some sort of scoring. I mean, this is one thing that if you look at them all 
uh, one after the other, you start to see uh, patterns and recurrences and um, contextualization that may have escaped you at the time or when you look back at them. But uh, yeah, it's just fun and really appreciate you joining me. So uh, this one is hard to say who wrote it because it's written by a whole bunch of people. Um, particularly, there's a special, and in that special, they didn't really reveal who wrote what. Can you still use some detective skills to say, I think this writer was there on these pages, etc. So you've got Greg Rucker, Jeff Johns, um, Judd Winnick. Uh, this is on the main. Uh, countdown special um, but other writers who are involved with the, the special after this like people like Alan Davis Gail Simone Andy Diggle uh, Bill Willingham is in there uh, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and art wise I, I don't think I can even attempt to say who's doing all the art across the boards is, is that how you feel about it yeah it was actually interesting going back and looking at it and realizing oh this is where this I, this is probably the first time I've read this artist or that artist so uh, I feel like there are so many different cooks in this, uh, in this pot that they're, that they're trying to create that, uh, it got a little unwieldy, but I, I think we'll probably talk about that later when we talk about the art itself. Yeah. Uh, now, are you up for describing this event in any, encapsulating it for me? Absolutely. So countdown to infinite crisis. I call it a kind of like a thematic event. Uh, it was triggered based off the aftermath of Identity Crisis, which uh, you covered so well a few episodes back. There was this period of time after Identity Crisis, a uh, number of months, where the DC Universe was, you know, rattling and, and uh, all the aftermath of Identity Crisis was reverberating throughout the DC Universe. And it all led to, as you said, this special that was called DC Countdown. And until it was revealed, we didn't know what exactly that special was going to count down to. And then we found out it's going to count down to the 20th anniversary sequel uh, or the 20th anniversary celebration of Crisis on Infinite Earths called Infinite Crisis. Countdown to Infinite Crisis. So we start with a, a special. That special leads into four miniseries, Day of Judgment, uh, excuse me, Day, Day of Vengeance, <laughs> um, OMAC Project, Ran Thanagar War, and Villains United. And also like that special, we were led to believe that all those miniseries were pretty much going to play along their titles and play along however they were solicited. And then you got to the fifth or sixth issue of each of those miniseries. And we started to get even more rumblings of what Infinite Crisis truly was going to be. But from the end of Identity Crisis in what, like December 2004 to Infinite Crisis number one, which was October 2005, the DC Universe was just this unified narrative. It, it probably was the, the, the high point of, the, of DC Comics at that time. Uh, based on a lot of different factors that was that was going on in the background, and it was the most cohesive I think the DC universe has ever been, or uh, before that, or since. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, it is a real feat of editorial coordination and writer engagement and things. And, I, and like you said, I don't think it's ever been replicated. There was an attempt to replicate it, and um, it was a spectacular failure, and that's the lead-up to Final Crisis. <laughs> but this time, you know, everyone was on board, everyone was inspired, and it came together so nicely. It's, it really is it's a wonder of the comics world, this event, that it was put together so well. It's, it's, it's so hard to do. Um, and it 
did it brilliantly. I agree. And do you have any notes of, of, of sort of uh, what was going – you were reading this at the time, right? Yeah. As it came out, I was reading it. So, And, and I was pretty much reading the spectrum of the DC Universe. So it, it was kind of uh, – threaded everywhere that uh, like uh, for instance i i was the person reading breach <laughs> as it came out oh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that that guy yeah so yeah the the way the villains are coming together and the machinations behind the scenes and the bits and pieces and there's direct pickups from identity crisis as far as uh the villains uh feeling threatened and deciding to uh rally and uh, things like Luther's battle suit coming into play, etc. We see uh, Lex Luther running around in that at one point. There's so much going into this, and it's so well put together. But it's all just building to another event, which is one of the really uh, weird things about it. But all this effort and all this work and all the you know the, the hallmarks of its own event, but it's actually just the um, prelude to another one. And I, what I kind of liked about it at the time, um, because this was coming out right as we were doing you know the first couple months of, of CGS, you know the first six months, seven months of CGS, so. We were really we had an ear to what was going on like at different conventions and fandom was going ballistic for all of this. And it really was an interesting time to be a DC fan. And I think it kind of goes back to a number of things that as you kind of research, you, you go, oh, right. OK, so, you know, Dan DiDio came to DC Comics in 2002, but he became vice president executive editor in October 2004. And I remember uh, there was like one of his things that he wrote in the back of the comics and he was talking about, look, this next year from identity crisis to what we have planned next, you know, next fall is really going to rattle things and shake things. So for the first time, DC had a face to go with their comics, kind of like Joe Casado over at Marvel or Stanley before him or Jim Shooter or whoever you grew up with. We had Dan DiDio for the first, we had, we had someone for the first time and he was really heavy, uh, you know, going to conventions and trying to drum up energy and support for retailers and fans. And the other person I think uh, that kind of fed all this obviously is Jeff Johns with the way he came on to Teen Titans in 2003 and uh, he was part of all of this countdown stuff and then obviously he, write, he writes Infinite Crisis. But as you said, there were other things going on too like Jeff Loeb doing Superman Batman. That's where we would see Luther back in his battle, seat, battle suit and he actually has a line in there where he says uh, there will be a reckoning, a crisis. And that was all the way back in 2003. Yeah. So the the little stepping stones along the way, uh, when you look back at it in hindsight, you go, yeah, not only was it a calculated uh, plan from identity crisis to infinite crisis, there were things even before that. And I think that's why... That's why it's kind of unique, as you said. It's kind of unique in its place. It's 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 an event, yet it's also a narrative, and uh, I think that's why it resonates so well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, one of the things we try and do, and sometimes we remember to do on this podcast, is identify what type of event this is. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, in the past we've said there's things that fix things, uh, take care of continuity problems or, you know, something that the uh, editorial, the writers aren't happy with, or there's the ones that are occupiers where people just, uh, all the comics get something to do for a, a time and, you know, to boost sales as well. I mean, that's one of the principal things as an occupier. Um, then there's the launcher, which 
launches a title to come out of it. So it's an intention that um, people will be invested in an event and then they'll be buying a book that's new afterwards. And then there's the vanity project, which is, you know, someone's burning to tell this story and someone is letting them tell it. Yeah, this one, it's a definitely an occupier and it's definitely a launcher because it's launching Infinite Crisis. Do you see any other traits in there? Uh, those are the first two that I, I went to as well. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a fixer because that comes later. And I, I can't really call it a vanity project because I feel like the whole company is behind it. Uh, in one of those rare instances where your entire company is behind an event, maybe begrudgingly so here and there, but I, I have to say a lot of writers and a lot of artists and a lot of creators took a lot of this stuff and ran with it. So I, I agree. I think it's, I think it's definitely an occupier, ob very obviously a launcher. And I think I would limit it to just those two. And what's your favorite bit of it? I mean, what's the biggest deals for you with, when you read it or reread it? I think it's initially, when I read it the first time, the surprises. Because there were a ton of surprises. First of all, as, you, as, we, as we said already, it wasn't just Countdown. It was Countdown to Infinite Crisis. It was, to, it was a countdown to the 20th anniversary of Crisis on Infinite Earths. All right, there. You got me right there. At the end of, of the 80 page giant, uh, we can, are we talking about what happens at the end of it? Can I, can I mention it? We yeah. spoil, yeah, we spoil away okay, on the sure. show. You know, with the death of Blue Beetle, although you kind of felt it going, coming at the end, you know, through the story, the way it happened was a complete shock. And then I feel like we were given these four miniseries that were Kind of like different parts of the DC universe. You know, you got magic in Day of Vengeance. You got space opera with Ran Thanagar. You got all the villains in Villains United. And OMAC Project kind of felt like it was like your heroes, your Justice League, or maybe uh, part of like the, the covert side of the DC universe. So I, I just assumed all of those four roads would blend in Infinite Crisis. And, you know, that's what Infinite Crisis would be. But then they decide to whammy us with this angle that is hinted at by the end of these miniseries, but it really doesn't come out until Infinite Crisis. So I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that, but it, it suddenly becomes so tied into the original Crisis. That all the way up through the end of, you know, that last page of Infinite Crisis, which, number one, which I'm sure you're going to talk about, you know, in, in another in the next episode, <laughs> it suddenly was like, oh, my God, I thought we were just coming to maybe the, the near the last minute of this roller coaster. No, we still have like 10 more miles to go. Yeah. So for me, it, it, it really it's all about the surprises. Yeah. And I, I must admit, I had forgotten some of the surprises. Like I remembered the big ones, but. I was completely blindsided by the uh, the death of Rocket Red, uh, Dimitri from uh, JLI. Right. Yeah, the fact that uh, he ends up being attacked by Omax and um, he sacrifices himself to save Guy Gardner and uh, Fire mm. and Booster Gold um, in the midst of their investigation. So, uh, yeah, that was a complete blindside for me. And it was like, you know, it's a really good uh, heroic death. But very, you know, once again, it does seem like this uh, series... Uh, this event more than any other is really uh, spitting on the memory of um, JLI. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, it, it all yeah, there was so much going on, and particularly, I mean, the hinting that you were talking about is really strong in the uh, the Power Girl uh, story that takes place in JSA Classified. So yeah, yeah. Um, it brings in Psycho Pirate. Um, so you know, right. that's a character that has some. Um, you associate him with a particular event, I'm sure. 
Sure. <laughs> Same thing with Villains United, right? Villains United, by the end of it, um, you know, while we think it's this story about uh, the society, Luthor and the society gathering all the villains, uh, but there are certain villains that um, – they're a little uneasy with this gathering, so they, they, they become the Secret Six. Uh, they're led by a mysterious character named Mockingbird. So here's another one of those twists, right? You find out, and there's been some rumblings, that not only is there one Luthor, there are two Luthors. And we don't necessarily find out who that second one is in this miniseries, but along the way of that, we get Lady Quark and we get Pariah. And like you said, Psycho Pirate. And that's where my brain just kind of exploded. And I said, wait a minute. This yeah. is going even, this is going in a place that I didn't even think. And, um, uh, the, the, the Luthor thing kind of really was just such, I wish they would have played with that even longer because that was so fun that there were these two Luthors running around. And the only reason you could tell that they were different was because of their eye color. One was blue, one was green. Ah, oh, it's just so good, so so fascinating. Yeah, it's it's hard to talk about the legacy of this one because it really does have a, another event hot on its heels. But um, right. w- one thing I realised, like particularly looking at Day of Vengeance, like this is the archetype for Shadow Pact, and then it, taking it forward, it's the archetype for Justice League Dark, and you know, particularly it's the archetype for the current Justice League Dark that's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as we both sort of did, I did it, <laughs> I did it while we were recording, and you did it before we were recording. Uh, we both said Day of Judgment. There were a bunch of hero mat, magic heroes that joined up even in that one and i think blue devil was one of them i, I believe and yeah, there might be yeah one or one more that was kind of similar so you know to go back to this whole idea of the launcher um for some reason this one this version this shadow pact seemed to really land when dc tried to do the same thing earlier either with like the sentinels of magic or some other team it didn't quite stick the way this one did um, and I think that's one of the strengths of um, a lot of these miniseries. You had Villains United kicking off Secret Six. They would have a miniseries, a regular series, another series, yep. all different variations and incarnations. So uh, they were smart. Oh, I mean, OMAC Project be, uh, kicked off Checkmate, Greg Rucka's Checkmate, which yep. is a fantastic series. So, yeah, it, it in terms of launching, I think that's where the legacy aspect kind of kicks in. Or even if you skip Infinite Crisis, there was a DC mind the heck out of all of this stuff. Yeah, and particularly the concept of a uh, a villain team like the Suicide Squad, but slightly more perverse. Um, you know, that's become <laughs> a real thing for DC. Like that's the current incarnation of the Suicide Squad as well, and that's you know has its. Uh, Direct pedigree back to uh, Gail Simone's Villains United and then Secret Six. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It 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 was so interesting to see her viewpoint of these outcasts. They they sort of they weren't necessarily anti heroes. They were well, I guess in a way they kind of were. But you rooted for them, you know. Like whoever thought I would be so interested in a character like Ragdoll until Gail Simone got it, you know, or Catman, total rebirth of Catman. Uh, you know, Deadshot, you know, he's been around. Cheshire, she had been around. But then a parademon, that she made a parademon worth reading. That book with the Dale Eaglesham artwork, um, 
was so fun. And, you know, sometimes this, this time of DC, a lot of people criticize it. They say it's a little too dark. They say this is, this is where things got dark. Or like you talked about with Identity Crisis, you know. But you look at a book like Villains United, and while it is certainly dealing with characters who are not heroes, there's a lot of fun to be had in that series. Yeah, it's one of the most fun team books out there, you know, sort of up there with Next Wave. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. a good comparison. I thought you didn't read Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> that's my persona. <laughs> anyway, um, shall we play your brand new promo, and then we'll get back for scoring? Okay. And welcome to Comic Geek Speak. I'm Peter Rios. Comic Geek Speak presents Footnotes and Introduction to the Battlefield. Let's go. DC Noise. Welcome to the Tower. I'm your host. The Crisis Tapes. Welcome to the first episode of the official Top Cow Podcast, your weekly stop. Legion Project Podcast. Multiple podcasts, thousands of episodes. Now in my 15th year of comics podcasting. The Daily Rios at thedailyrios.com. Come and give a listen. Okay, and now it's the part of the show where we score this bad boy. And the way we do that is uh, the three... Well, there's three of us coming in. So I have uh, Peter and me, we're the main OCDs, and we have Dr. Ange, who's the semi-OCD. So what that means is he gets to score as well, but we halve his scores at the end. So, uh, and that will give us a total out of 100, because there's four categories, we get 10 points each, etc. It's complex, but it works out when I do it. Uh, you'll you'll hear. Um, so for this one... Uh, this is incredibly eventy. I, I find this, I mean, the scope of it is huge. Um, I'm giving it a 10 points and I'm including into that 10 points the coordination of, and the editorial work and the writers cooperating and all, because I think this is, you know, as we've discussed, this is unparalleled. It's, it's like the best you can do this stuff and it happens right here, uh, with this, uh, lead up to Infinite Crisis. Uh, what about you, Peter? I agree. I gave it a 10 as well for all of those things, especially for something that while it had titles that made up the event, it didn't have a official comic title, right? It didn't have Infinite Crisis. It didn't have Identity Crisis. It just had a special, some miniseries. I feel like the coordination, like you talked about, um, the only other time I really feel like DC went all out, not only in terms of their books, the story, the creative team, but when you think about fandom and and roping in your fans and trying to get them to buy your books, trying to get retailers to get behind your books, uh, bringing out you know um, little merchandise and things like that. I think the next time we get to something like this, which is down the road for you, is Blackest Night. So, but as as we said, this one doesn't have a core book, and yet it is still. Uh, you know, for months at a time, I was spending way too much money on DC Comics, lovingly so, but I was, <laughs> I just had to buy everything. And, uh, being part of fandom at that time was just great. So, yeah, I agree. 10 as well. Okay. And where do you go with the writing for this one? So the writing, and, and I think some of this is, 
Um, I'm basing it on the rereading of it for this podcast, um, which may or may not be fair. I don't know how you guys play that. Uh, if you put it into context or you think of it in later terms, um, I think the 80 page giant is still super, super strong in how it's setting up the four miniseries, um, how it's a character piece for Blue Beetle. Um, how it sets up the villain in Maxwell Lord and shows a lot of the ramifications of identity crisis and then what's going to feed into infinite crisis. So I think this, the, the 80 page giant is fantastic. OMAC project is fantastic. Um, um, I really had a fun time reading villains United this time around. Um, the two that felt like, they didn't need to be six issues. I thought they probably could have been shorter is day of vengeance and ran Thanagar war. Um, now I love space opera. All the characters in ran Thanagar war are like right up there for me. Adam strange Legion, Omega man, captain comet. I mean, I am, I am all over that book. Um, we talked about, uh, prior, I think prior to recording how, the eight issue Adam Strange Planet Heist miniseries that predated almost all of this, like I think it was running during Identity Crisis, was also kind of like a precursor to this. Um, and it's dealing with, you know, Adam Strange and the Thanagarians, which is like a Bronze Age concept way back from like world's finest comics in the late 70s and the, and the early 80s where they're fighting. Um, it was good and the artwork is fantastic, but it it kind of was spinning there for a while in the middle issues. And I think day of vengeance did as well. Um, you know, how many, how, how many issues do we need to fight specter before we sort of wrap it up, you know? So for writing, um, I gave it an eight. I gave all this an eight. Yeah. I, I'm actually right there with you. And I, I would echo your comments on those uh, two miniseries. I, I feel there's an, another key part of this is the sacrifice uh, four issue arc, which happened in the Superman book, which uh, basically sets up. It, it's a shocker because it happens in the middle of the uh, OMAC uh, project. But basically, right. uh, well, spoilers, let's just dive in. Maxwell Lord seizes control of Superman, has absolute control of him. And uh, he attacks Batman and almost kills him. And Wonder Woman intercedes. And in order to uh, stop Maxwell Lord's control of Superman, she kills Maxwell Lord by snapping his neck. Um, and this happens right in the middle of the OMAC project. And it, it was like left field, complete surprise, you know, uh, story-wise. Yeah. Um, but it is also a story that spins its wheels. Like the first two chapters of it are just basically showing Superman's delusions and it, over and over again. And it, it's, it's kind of, uh, yeah, it happens a little bit too long. But, you know, the end result of that is, you know, it was quite a, a sudden shift in the OMAC story. So, you know, I, I'd say their writing across the board is really, um, you know, strong for the most part. If anything, there's a little bit of, you know, let's keep this going a little bit longer than it needs, to, you know, in some quarter, not many. Yeah. So eight, eight from me as well. You know, one, one other point about that sacrifice real quick. That's another one, an example of a shock, not only because of what you detailed, but when you saw the covers before you actually read the, the issues, those covers made it seem like a bunch of villains were just attacking Superman, that Superman was, you know, he was the, quote, you know, the hero, the protagonist, he was the one that was going to stop something. And then when you actually get to the books, you realize, no, it's Superman that is the one that's going crazy. So, there again was another like like the rug was just kind of pulled out from under us until we actually read the book. Yeah. 
Uh, and then we get on to the art. So the art is great in these stories throughout. Um, yeah, there, there's no real problems with the art at all. Uh, particularly like Dale Eaglesham was a real revelation on uh, Villains United and uh, Jesus Saez, his art on OMAC Project. Um, all the artists involved with Countdown uh, Special. Uh, yeah, it, it's all really good. It's it's what I would call, you know, solid great art and uh for that i'm going to give it an eight well we're playing along here because i also gave it an eight this i think probably was the first time i came across Ivan hayes's artwork on ranthanagar ranthanagar war and you know currently he's doing superman and and he was you know on the green lantern books for a while um uh and i know he does a couple pages in infinite crisis but i couldn't remember if i had seen his artwork before this but man, are those de- those pages detailed when he is really firing on all cylinders. I mean, it's just incredible. Where I took points away, it was because of the unfortunate uh, aspect of having a few fill-in artists here and there, which didn't hurt the book. Um, I think there was a couple pages in, in Ranthanagar. I think what um, Villains United had um, Val Semex, I believe, stepped in or... I might be getting that wrong, but there was a fill-in artist there. Uh, the, some of that, I kind of uh, oh, in Day of Vengeance, there was a, a fill-in artist as well. It was originally just Justiano or Justiniano, um, and then he had someone else fill in. So that was that's always disappointing to me when uh, one artist can't flesh out a monthly book. But you know, hey, I, I, the daily grind on that is hard, so I get that. But I do think it holds up really well. And I, I I always loved some of those covers, and um, I think it was just because of the fill-ins. I, I gave it an eight, which is you know maybe that's a little harsh, but uh, you know that's how I sort of felt this time around reading it. Yeah, I mean, you'd be happy with that art anywhere, really. But uh, yeah, yeah. But eight's a eight's a fair score. And yeah, impact and legacy. What do you think, Peter? And this one, I come back to a solid ten. For things that we already talked about, uh, you know, the fan, the, the the way readers just rallied around, and there's a lot of things that we haven't even touched on that could be part of this umbrella, um, such as DC special Return of Donna Troy, a four issue miniseries that also dealt with elements of things that we would see in Infinite Crisis, and mostly because that was that that first issue, uh, which came out in June, I think, of 2005 was the first comic to sport DC's new logo, which they, had, they hadn't changed since the 70s. So their, their little DC bullet became the DC spin. And, uh, you know, that was because this event was going on and they wanted to rebrand all across not only comics but other media as well so that DC spin would be seen uh, all over the place, um, cartoons, TV shows, I think Batman Begins was was out coming out around this time uh, or or somewhere around here. So I think for the impact, uh, God, yeah, I mean, there wasn't a book that the, that kind of sidestepped this if they were part of the Mar- uh, DC main DC universe. So and even spinning out of it, not even Infinite Crisis, there were things that reverberated for certain characters like Catwoman because of the mind wiping thing and Zatanna and Batman and Wonder Woman and Superman. I mean, it just it just went on and on and on and on. 
with you know different levels of success so i i absolutely give it a 10 right i i struggle with this because uh, it's the lead into another event and you know you got to, it's hard to measure what comes out of the next event and what comes out of this one so for that reason i i sort of graded on a curve and just gave it a seven just because it, it doesn't stand alone and launch things on its own it sort of uh, you know is really back-to-back towing another event behind it so yeah so i'm giving it a seven for that good fair enough mm-hmm Yeah, we don't do this alone. Let's have a listen to what Ange had to say about this. Hey, thanks guys for inviting me on to DCOCD for the semi-OCD regarding Countdown to Infinite Crisis. I'll start out by saying that I think Infinite Crisis was a fixer, a last attempt at streamlining the DCU while milking the cash cow of Crisis on Infinite Earths 30 years later. As a result, I think these preceding miniseries and mini-events are something of vanity projects, a way that these creative teams could have a small part in the bigger story while doing something that truly interested them. It's interesting to think of a prelude to a comic crossover as being an event in and of itself, but in this instance, I really have to agree with you guys covering this in a separate episode and with its own evaluation. Because to be blunt, I think the setup for Infinite Crisis, these events and miniseries, was better than Infinite Crisis itself. When you look at all that was happening in the months prior to Infinite Crisis, there was something of a feeling of growing momentum in the DC universe. We knew Infinite Crisis was going to happen. We knew it was being written by, you know, comic god Jeff Johns. There was this sense that Infinite Crisis was going to have the scope and majesty of Crisis on Infinite Earths. And then there were all of these preliminary arcs that had great potential, sort of like, you know, these were the thunderstorm that happened right before a blizzard, which makes that final storm that much more powerful. I mean, you walked into the comic book store and fans were really buzzing about which miniseries they were buying. Were they getting OMAC Project or Villains United or the Ranthanagar War? And oftentimes the answer was that people were buying all of them. There was a lot of discussion around the death of Blue Beetle in the Countdown to Infinite Crisis special. There were these minor offshoots like the new or maybe old Power Girl origin in JSA Classified with that spiffy Amanda Connor artwork. And then there was Sacrifice in the Trinity books where, of course, Superman is being controlled by Maxwell Lord. And that ended with Wonder Woman, a hero, killing Maxwell Lord, a sort of interesting capstone to that lead-in issue where Lord killed a hero. Yeah, things were kind of crackling in the DCU with this prologue. So you would think Infinite Crisis would have picked up the baton and ran with it, right? I don't know if that's true. I guess we'll have to wait for your next episode. So let's get on to the scores. For the first category of eventiness, I have to give this an 8. The Countdown to Infinite Crisis logo was slapped on a lot of books during this time, those three main preceding miniseries of Villains United, The Ranthanagar War, and The OMAC Project all had far-reaching implications for other books and kind of you know brought back the subgenre of the villain book and the DC Cosmic book. That sacrifice storyline really shook the Trinity and, and sort of almost broke apart the big three. It kind of really felt like DCU was telling one big story, that there were all of these plot threads that were sort of weaving tighter and tighter, leading into Infinite Crisis. So again, a score of an 8. For writing, I'll give this a 7. 
you know, the names on these books were very impressive. Jeff Johns, Greg Rucka, Dave Gibbons, Gail Simone. I mean, this was really the cream of the crop. And they each played in the individual sandbox well. And they also had these like far-reaching tendrils that sort of touched the rest of the DCU. Now, I might cringe at the need for Blue Beetle to die and and I don't know how Maxwell Lord could really be the one to control Superman. And I don't know why Wonder Woman had to kill Maxwell Lord, and I certainly didn't know why Catman was suddenly a major star. But there was no denying that these stories were written very well. I had to knock a few points off for things and decisions that I don't think had to happen, that Maxwell Lord execution sort of stands out among the rest as being something that I think there just had to be another solution for. On to art, I'm going to give this a 9. I mean... Amanda Connor shined in that Power Girl origin story, and that kind of led right into drawing the Power Girl book years later. Jesus Saez brought a really slick look to that OMAC project. You know, Dale Eaglesham always has a polished touch and really uh, did great work on Villains United. Ivan Reese brought his sort of Neil Adams sensibilities to the Rand Thanagar War. You know, Ed Bennis was on the Superman books at the time. You know, we were getting... Uh, covers by J.G. Jones on Wonder Woman. I mean, really all of these books uh, are superb to look at. And then the biggest, uh, you know, score or the one that I feel, uh, you know, of these categories that is the biggest one to cover is Legacy Impact. And I have to give this a nine as well. I mean, there is a strong legacy to this foundation for Infinite Crisis. I feel that Wonder Woman killing Maxwell Lord, you know, sort of sealed this current warrior incarnation we have of Wonder Woman, right? In her main book, when Greg Rucker first took over, he really played up this sort of ambassador role. And yet here she was, you know, snapping the neck of Maxwell Lloyd. I really feel that it was, you know, post this story that we always saw Wonder Woman with a sword on her hip, right? This was a changeover to that, I'll kill anything that I have to uh, for war, and, you know, since this time, uh, I've yet to hear the word ran without hearing the word Thanagar right after her. And they always seem to be in a war, holy or otherwise. You, the OMAC robots are still popping up now and then. And, you know, Batman having a paranoid super plan is really a consistent subplot even to this day. And, and Villains United was something of a backdoor pilot for Secret Six, which is, you know, still ongoing in some form or another. Power Girl being reinstated as the Earth 2 Supergirl is still true today. So, you know, when you put all of these bricks together for the foundation of Infinite Crisis, you have plots and themes and character turns which still impact us 15 years later. So that would give us a total of 33. But wait, because I really have to use some scorer's prerogative here, because 33 seems or feels to be a little bit too high for this. So I'm going to subtract five points for my own score. Because while these were all great in setting the stage for Infinite Crisis, Infinite Crisis itself let me down. So this countdown period is sort of a great appetizer that leads into a lousy entree. So as a result, I will give this a true score of 28. Thanks again, guys. Uh, I think I'm going to go change my destiny by punching a wall. This is Dr. Ange signing off. Okay, so we've got all the scores in. Thanks, Ange, for that. And, uh, yeah, you've given it 36, Peter, correct? Yep. Uh, correct. Yep. 
Uh, I gave it 33, and Ant has given it 28, and we halve him down to 14, so we add those together. And, ooh, it's 83, which is, ooh, that is a, that's a skyscraping score. Let's have a look on the ladder and see where that lands. So, wow, that is fourth on the ladder, just below Kingdom Come, and between Death of Superman, which is tied with Nightfall. So, very, very, very high score for this one. Gosh. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I, I probably merited, just for the, the effort involved in the coordination, and, you know, it, I, I, it was, I'm hard pressed to think of a more exciting time to be a DC Comics reader than when this was happening. I, I agree. I, I, I listened back to some of those podcasts at the time and how excited we were. And, uh, you know, just every book was, if it wasn't, um, if it wasn't because of the writing, it was because of the art. If it wasn't because of the art, it was because of just the overall feeling, you know, from Justice League of America to to JSA Classified, like you said. Um, everything that, that kind of skirted this theme, I had to seek it out, you know? The new Manhunter series at the time, the the JSA series at the time, if they, you know, if they slapped on a, hey, this is a tie-in to OMAC Project or Day of Vengeance, I was getting it, and I probably was already getting it. So for me to scour the entire DC line for any mention of anything, an OMAC or the Society or Luthor, um, boy, this was this I I'm hard pressed to think of another time where I was that invested. And I, I yeah, I'm a DC fanboy, we know this, but um, this was when I was really going hardcore. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a great time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm impressed that you've sustained your fandom for as long as you have, Peter. But uh, <laughs> that's probably another longer chat. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> Right, so if you want to see the DC event ladder that we've got going uh, with DC OCD scoring, uh, it's over at waitingfordoom.com, which is our brand new website. So you can pop in there and you can see the uh, the scores in episode order and then you can see them ranked by score order, which shows you what's at the top and what's at the bottom and everything in between. So, you know, you can say, okay, so Legends is better than Day of Judgment uh, as an absolute based on our scores <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> yeah, um, and you can also leave comments on the episode there. So we'll have a post up for this uh, episode and it will have some images from the uh, the event and there'll also be a spot there if you want to leave comments and uh, let's go into comments now. So uh, we have one comment from Jeff, Jeff R, and he asked, will we be covering Green Lantern Rebirth? And uh, yeah, for those of you paying real close attention, you know we've probably gone past that. So yeah, we're not actually going to cover that one. We've uh, decided it's not eventy enough. Yeah, and there's also a little bit of uh, social media unpleasantness with one of the people associated with that, which is another reason why I'm steering clear of that one. But yeah, um, if, if you can play along at home, you can probably imagine a score for that or come up with your own score. Uh, you know, and I think you know it'll probably fall somewhere in the middle of the ladder. But um, you, your mileage may vary on the R for that one. Yeah, but that's all we've got in feedback. Um, thanks, Peter. Where can people find you? Want to hear more of your talking and um, find you online? Well, if they listen to that, you know, awful promo that I, I pieced together at last minute, ugh, you think I would come up with something better than that? Um, they can just go to thedailyrios.com which uh, has all of the podcasts that uh, I produce or co-host, such as uh, the Daily Rios when I get to do that, um, or the Legion Project, which is taking a look at the Legion of Superheroes from the 80s. 
as well as the Tower podcast, as you mentioned, which uh, is my new Teen Titans podcast, which I need to get back to. Um, but then I also try to put on there anytime I guest appear on any other podcast. So, for instance, this episode, you know, I'll definitely put a link to the uh, to your website when when uh, this episode drops. And then they can also go to Twitter. That's where I kind of do most of my inane rambling. Peter J. Rios. Um, if you, you know, mostly it's all about comics every now and then about musical theater, but mostly about comics. Yeah. And it's all worthwhile. And particularly if you are reading, uh, Heroes in Crisis and hating it and, uh, or just not feeling like you're getting much out of it, I would recommend that you listen to Peter because he, uh, he's illuminating some corners in that, uh, that story that, uh, were eluding me on first glance. So, uh, you know, it may not change your mind, but it will be very entertaining to just have a bit of more of a think about it. I'm sure all of my speculations will turn out to be, you know, wrong, but that's not the point of it. The point of it is to kind of just, have fun with the event and see how much I can pull out of it, whether it's intentional or not. And, uh, you know, the past couple of issues I've really had a lot of fun with this. So thank you for uh, bringing that up because I, I love that stuff. Yeah. And we'll be talking about that sometime in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, that's all we've got for this time. So, uh, yeah, head on over to our website and uh, leave comments if you like. Um, you can also leave comments at uh, Twitter at DCOCDcast, and you can send us emails to DCOCDcast at gmail.com. Next week, it's a Waiting for Doom, and we're continuing our look at the Giffen-Clark Doom Patrol run, Volume 5. Very excited to get into that. And then uh, the next DCOCD will be... Um, oh, look at that. It's Infinite Crisis. Who saw that coming? <laughs> Yeah. Good luck with that one. <laughs> thanks very much, Peter. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Talk to you all later. Bye. I am the eye in the sky.